We're going to continue on with our deeper series this morning, and we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 29.11, all right? Jeremiah 29.11. But before we get to Jeremiah 29.11, which says, For I know the things I have for you, declares the Lord, things to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, right? You've probably seen that in people's houses or, you know, framed in the kitchen or whatever, and you're like, that's a great thing, I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, what I want to do before we even get to Jeremiah 29 is go back to Jeremiah 28 and look at what is happening that would cause the Lord to say this, to say this very famous and very powerful verse. What is going on with the Jews as they are, as they are walking out their life as God's chosen covenant people? Okay, so let's look in, in, in Jeremiah 28, and we're going to read all the way through this chapter. Don't worry, it's not too long. Starting in verse 1, okay? We're just going to march through it. It says, One day in late summer of that same year, the fourth year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, Hananiah, son of Azor, a prophet from Gibeon, addressed me publicly, talking about Jeremiah, addressed me, Jeremiah, publicly in the temple while all the priests and people listened. Okay. I'll keep reading. We're going to come back to this. He said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will remove the yoke of the king of Babylon from your necks. Within two years, I will bring back all the temple treasures the king Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And I will bring back Jehoshin, son of Jehokim, king of Judah, and all the other captives that were taken to Babylon. I will surely break the yoke that the king of Babylon has put on your necks. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, so that's a pretty bold statement that Hananiah, this, we'll call him prophet, is saying in this moment. And what has happened is that the Jews are in exile. In Babylon, right? They're living under a ruler in a reign that is not of God, okay? And so they're wanting to know, Lord, how long is this going to last? How long is this going to last? And we're not going to get into the reasons why they're in exile, but let's just say they were a little disobedient, all right, to the Lord. And so this is the question that is being asked over and over and over again. And so here comes this guy, Hananiah, right, this prophet. And it says, if we go back to verse 1, it says that he addressed me, meaning Jeremiah, publicly, all right? And here's what I want to I want to get on this point first because we are living in a world right now where we're hearing all sorts of different things. And what we see here is this guy Hananiah who turns out to be a false prophet. And what we see is that he is seeking an audience, okay? He wants to make a name for himself and so he addresses Jeremiah, this very much prophet, and he does so publicly. Not only does he do so publicly, but he he does so in the temple, okay? So as he's giving this message that basically says that after about two years, God is going to restore everything back to the Jewish people from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and y'all are going to be on your merry way. And he was saying this while in front of an audience, even while in the temple. And all of this, if you're a Jew, sounds really good, right? Okay, two years, we can, we can deal with that. To put that in context today... March will be two years of COVID, okay? So just think about that. That's kind of a good little barometer for what that feels like to the Jews then, okay? It's like, okay, I can wrap my head around that. And this guy, he's saying, he's saying the God of heaven's army, right? And he's in a temple and he's saying, thus the Lord has spoken. Like, this guy's got some serious authority, so surely I should believe him. Thing is, Jeremiah doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe what he's saying and he's got some questions. But what we need to understand is, look, it's really easy. It's really easy to get behind someone that's telling us good news. You know why? Because good news, it, it, that, that affects our agenda, right? And our plans. Rarely do we try and listen to what someone is saying and say, well, how does that affect the glory of God, 
right? Oh, that's to my glory. Two years, sure, I can do that. Then we're free. Awesome. Uh, Hananiah, you're the man. But are we ever asking ourselves, God, to where is this your glory? Where does this fit your plan? Where does this fit your purpose? Or is everything that we're hearing, everything even that I would say that we're singing, all to fulfill our own purpose and our own agenda? And I'm telling y'all right now, we are living in a world very much where our agenda really doesn't matter anymore. God is trying to say, listen, it's about me. It's for my glory. And so we should be consumed. We should be so focused on God. What are you doing in this moment? Not to set us free, but to give you the ultimate glory. But as these Jews hear what Hananiah is saying, they're saying, yeah, that sounds good. Because that is all about me and me getting out of here. Jeremiah goes on to say in verse 5, Jeremiah responded to Hananiah as they stood in front of all the priests and people at the temple. He said, amen. I, this is, I believe, I'm, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I want to believe that this is where the gift of sarcasm started. Thank you, Jesus. As you can just see, you know, that, that sarcastic clap that we all love to do. Like, yeah, the eye roll. All of this came from Jeremiah. It's biblical. We're allowed to do it in Jesus' name. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. But he says in verse 6, Amen. May your prophecies come true. I hope the Lord does everything you say. I hope he does bring back from Babylon the treasures of this temple and all the captives. But listen now to the solemn words. I speak to you in the presence of all these people. These people that you started this, by the way. It says, the ancient prophets who preceded you in, in me spoke against many nations, always warning of war, disaster, and disease. So a prophet who predicts peace must show he is right. Only when his predictions come true can we know that he is really from the Lord. So what Jeremiah is saying here in, in a nutshell is, I'll believe it when I see it. Because everything up until this point, all the prophets that came before you and me both have been prophesying over disease and over war and over hardships. And now here you come rolling in, say two small years and we're going to be restored. Are you sure about that? I'll believe it when I see it. Because you want to know who to believe? See if anything they ever says comes true. See if anything they ever says comes true. And I want to, I want to say this to, to everyone in here again, everyone watching at home this morning. Test everything that you hear, especially when it's said in the name of the Lord, because that's what Hananiah does here. He doesn't say in the name of King Nebuchadnezzar and the, or the name of, of the devil, right? Or even of Moses. He says, thus saith the Lord, the God of heaven's armies, right? Sounds really good. Anytime someone is prophesying in the name of the Lord, go back and test it with scripture. See where that person is coming from. See what their agenda might be. Are they seeking an audience? Are, are they thinking just, just to tickle the ears of those that are listening for prosperity? Or maybe have they said some other things that have come true as well? We have to be very, very careful in the world that we are living in right now to be on guard of what we are listening to and what we are standing on. And the only thing that I know of to stand on right now is the Word of God. I'm, and I'm not trying to just say that to be holy or whatever. It's because literally I don't know who to believe right now. The only thing that I know to believe that is true is the word of God. And so let's go back to it, shall we? Let's let that dictate our lives and make the decisions in our homes. Let's let that lead our marriages and how we parent our children. 
That is the only truth. I just I teach Bible here at the school, and it's our first, the first day of every year. What I talk about is absolute truth versus relative truth. There is absolute truth, and that is Jesus, and there is relative truth, that is everything else. And so if we want truth in how to live in this crazy world where we feel like an exile in Babylon, the only resource that we need to go to is the Word of God, period. So that's what I'm doing. That's all I know to do. Verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off Jeremiah's neck. Hananiah's a pretty cocky guy here, I got to admit. He's a showman. And he, he, so he takes this yoke off Jeremiah's neck and broke it in pieces. Verse 11, and Hananiah said again to the crowd that had gathered, this is what the Lord says. Just as this yoke has been broken within two years, I will break the yoke of oppression. Check this out. From all nations now subject to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And this is a very important lesson right here. Listen to this. With that, Jeremiah left the temple area. All right? It's huge right there. This guy is now not just saying that, that the Jews are going to be rescued from exile under Babylon, but all the nations that are in exile in Babylon are going to be rescued. He's actually doubling down on what he's saying. And Jeremiah's like, you know what? I'm out. And he just leaves. So rather than argue with this guy over whether the sky is blue or not, Jeremiah teaches us a very important lesson. Just leave, all right? When you're in the presence of foolishness, don't get down on foolishness level. Just leave, all right? Just walk out. I think that's a lesson that the, the church, in a, in a lot of ways, needs to really learn right now. That it's far less important to argue on Facebook than it is to love your neighbor, okay? That is what he has called us to. So stop. Stop. Just leave. If Jeremiah left and his name is in the word of God, let's follow that example. Verse 12. Soon after this confrontation with Hananiah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke. But you replace it with a yoke of iron. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, I like how he says that again back to Hananiah, says, I have put a yoke of iron on the necks of all these nations, forcing them into slavery under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. I have put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. Let's just stop for a second and remember, yes, the Jews are in exile in Babylon, but God never gives Nebuchadnezzar credit for that. So when they're in exile under more or less an enemy... It's not like, wow, look, Nebuchadnezzar did all this evil stuff. No, God's saying, I have done this. Don't think for a second because you're in exile in a place where that doesn't worship me that they're in control. That they're in control over you. No, 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 no. I have done this. Verse 15, then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but the people believe your lies. Why? Because it supports their agenda. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you must die. Your life will end this very year because you have rebelled against the Lord. Two months later, the prophet Ananiah died. Winner Jeremiah, right? He says, listen, let's see what this guy's track record is. He's preaching peace. He's preaching deliverance. He's preaching rescue and that you're going to be set free in two years. Why don't we just wait and see? But Hananiah keeps continuing to speak on behalf of the name of the Lord. Lies. 
The Lord does not take kindly to those who use his name improperly for their own agenda, for their own gain. His name is his name alone. His name is the name that is above all names, and he is not about to share it with some dude named Hananiah or anybody else for that matter. The glory is to the Lord's always, all the time. And so we see here what God does. He said, you've spoken my name over and over. That's it. The people are believing these lies. That's it. End of story. End of chapter. Hananiah is dead. So then, after all of that has been said, after the Jews have been riled up to believe that it's only going to be two short years in exile, just a little slap on the wrist from all the disobedience that they've been doing, and then they're going to be set free. They're all hyped. And then what happens? The dude who said it, is now dead. Uh-oh. What now? Well, that's when chapter 29 begins. And it says this starting in verse 1. So Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is what I want to mention too. When you consider Jeremiah 29:11, and we'll get there in just a second, consider that it is not said to a specific individual. It is said to a specific nation. So the word you in Jeremiah 29, 11 is you, the nation of Israel. You, God's chosen people. Not you, all right? You as in everyone. And that alone right there changes the whole understanding of that verse. And that's what Jeremiah is doing as he writes this letter to all of the people that are in exile in Babylon. In verse 4, it says this. It says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Check this out, y'all. Verse 5. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for your children so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. What? No, 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 no. We were, we were kind of liking the idea of two years. Now you're telling us to build homes, to have kids, to have grandkids? I like the other guy better, right? But that is what the prophet Jeremiah, who truly speaks on behalf of the Lord, is telling them. What he's saying is, y'all going to be here a while, so you might as well get comfortable. Don't put life on hold and this is what I love about the message of God to them. Don't put life on hold just because you're in exile. You can still have a fruitful and a productive life while you're in exile. But don't just sit in the corner and pout and say, God, how long? God, how long? No, build homes. Have dinner together. Laugh. Have children. Have grand. That sounds a lot like life, doesn't it? And so that's what he's telling them to do here. And I love that about God. Yes, he's put them in time out. He's put them in exile. But in that, he's not robbing them of life. He's actually saying, multiply. Grow. Do not dwindle away. Do not think that you're defeated. Do not think that I've forgotten you or that I'm not in control in any of this. You're going to be here a while, but that's okay because I'm with you too. 
In verse 7, and this is, this is a challenge to us right here, y'all. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Let's say that again. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. But James, the city that you sent them to, that, 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 that's not a God-fearing nation. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't love the Lord. So we're going to pray for peace and prosperity for a, for a, a nation that doesn't agree with us? Yes, you are, because it goes on to say this. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. All right, so you can throw stones at this place you're in exile, but that's not going to do you any good. You're going to be here for a while, so you might as well pray for them, because what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? If you're going to be here, pray that they prosper, so that you can reap the benefits of that prosperity as well. Kind of, it makes a little sense, right? There's some practicality to that. So while you're here, while you're in exile, don't pray against the king. Pray for the king. God's got plans for that king, by the way, further on down the road. There's purpose in what God does and where he sends his people because it's him that does it. It's God that does it. It's never us. It's never any other person. And he has a plan that is far greater than we could ever imagine. Verse 8. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. There it is again, y'all. Be careful. Be careful. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for not two years, 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. So 70 years, but the promise isn't broken. And here it is, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Okay? So in the midst of this exile, right after telling them, yeah, it's actually going to be 70 years. It's going to be a while. But don't lose sight of the fact that I have plans for you. I have given these things to you. They are my plans for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you. All right? These are my plans for you. But here's it. When we read that verse, y'all, we mistake it for what he's really telling the entire nation in this moment. You see, when we, when we approach the promises of God, we need to stop approaching them like they're an ATM machine and start approaching them like they're an altar. Because what this, what this verse is really saying is submit to me. Submit to my authority. It's not about, it's not about walking into, into a room and saying, oh, I know the plans I have for you to clear the Lord, plans I have, so I'm going to win the lottery today. Here's my, here's my ticket and woo, awesome. It's, it's, a, it's a promise of us submitting and getting on our knees and saying, no matter how long this exile is, God, I believe that you have plans for me. I believe that you have plans for all of us, for all of the church, for Beaches Chapel and beyond, this city, this country, this world. And though we feel like we're in exile now, we are going to continue to stand on the promises that you have given us. 
Though we might not understand it, but that's okay because they're not our promises to begin with. They are your promises and they are plans to give us hope in the future. And the second that we get away from that and we start to question, are they, Lord? Are they plans to prosper us? Are they plans to give us a hope in the future? Are they really? Then we are then opening the door for the enemy to come in and do all sorts of damage. The second that we question God's authority and God's word and God's promises over us. I'm going to go a little further with this story. We're going to break from Jeremiah and we're going to look into the New Testament now. Because a lot of people will tell you, well, God is speaking to the Jews in Jeremiah at a specific time to a specific people. And this verse doesn't even pertain to us. Which is, to quote Ben from earlier, whatever, right? Because Romans 15.4 says that God has given us these stories in the past so that we can learn from them, so that we can be taught by them. And check this out, so that we can have hope from them. So when I read Jeremiah, I don't go, well, that was in the Old Testament before Jesus. That can't apply to me. Of course it applies to us. But it does it in a different way. And as we read this, we'll go ahead and have the band come on up. And I just have a couple more thoughts, and then we're going to enter back into worship. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, it says, In the same way, he, meaning Jesus, took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. You see, in the Old Testament, Israelites were God's chosen covenant people. But then along comes Jesus. And he creates a new covenant where all of us, all of us are his chosen people. All of us have that new covenant with him. And it was done not by works of us, not because we achieved some great thing, but because God loved us so much and wanted a relationship with us and saw how messed up we were, each one of us, and the sin that we live in, that he said, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross. And the blood that was shed, this holy, perfect, blameless blood, will create a new covenant. Where then now my new people that has opened all can read the stories like Jeremiah and say, that's not just for them. That's not just at a specific time. That I can say that, yes, God has plans for me to give me hope and a future and know that that includes me because I'm part of the new covenant. I'm part of the new covenant that Jesus accomplished by dying for me. Not because I was born into a certain race or ethnicity or whatever or lived in a certain time, but because of Jesus Ephesians 2, 11 through 14 says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. The promises of God bring hope. The life of Jesus, no matter what we are living in, no matter what the world looks like, no matter if we feel like we're in exile or we are on the mountaintop, 
always brings hope because that's the promise that God has for us. Hope and a future. And we can look around and say, God, I don't want to build a home in this. God, I don't want, I don't want to be settled in all of this. This is crazy. But what the hope is that none of it ever is outside the authority of God. Remember, he's the one that brought the Jews into exile in Babylon. And he was the one that brought them out. I know we have a lot of questions about the world we're living in. But one thing that we don't have to ever ask is, God, where are you in this? I'll tell you where he's at. He's over it. He's ruling over it. We started this morning singing, he reigns above it all. And there's no exception to that truth. He reigns above every bit of it. And we have hope in it. And this is the last verse I want to read today. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. For his glory. And that's what this is all about. I, I would love to get up here and say that I have a timeline for when the world is going to change or when this is going to happen and when that's going to happen. I have no idea. I have no idea. And I'm okay with that. Because if I knew, I would start thinking about how that affects me more than how it affects the Lord. Okay, then we can start doing this again and, and then we can take our family here on vacation and, and whatever the case may be, right? But as we continue to live in this world, what I see is the, the church digging in loving each other more, praying harder. And my expectancy, and I know all of our expectancy, is God is going to be glorified in the midst of this, in the midst of this all. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the enemy tries to put God's people in exile, right? It doesn't matter. Fine. We'll build homes, right? We'll have children and grandchildren. And we're going to continue to worship the Lord. But what we all need to know is that God has a plan for us, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. It's there, it's written, and it's not for certain people at a specific time. It's for all of God's people because he made a new covenant with us through Jesus that says you are included in every promise I've ever given. And every promise through Jesus is yes and amen. And so we can stand this morning and we can worship this morning knowing that truth that God is for us. And let's not back down from that. I know that there's moments where it's hard and fear tries to come in and we, start to, we, we want to go down that road of questioning. And we don't have to do that. God is in control. So let's stand this morning and let's worship with that confidence that God's promises for us are yes and amen. And he has, listen y'all, he has a hope. He's given us hope and a future for us. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. And Lord, in this time, there's so many questions that we want answered. And forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for sometimes stepping out of bounds and, and, and wanting to know things that are none of our business. 
God, we pray right now, Jesus, that we would be a people, no matter where we are, that we would believe you, that we would worship you, and we would never shy away from standing and, and speaking out the promises of God, from speaking out and continuing to pray when we're weary that you are a miracle-working God, that we would trust you more now than ever, Lord. And God, we lay aside our understanding, we lay aside our confusion, and we say you are God. And forgive us for ever thinking that we should be or that you owe us any explanation. You've given us everything that we could ever need, Lord, in your son Jesus. You've made a new covenant with us. You've included us as your, as your chosen people, God. That if we just believe in you, if we just profess the name Jesus as our Lord, and we ask you to forgive us of our sins, you save us and you include us in every promise that you've ever written. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray right now that you would bring new hope to those of us that are weary. That right now, God, you would pour out new hope, God, on those that are tired, Lord. You say, don't grow weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we will reap that harvest. And Lord, so I pray for those right now that are weary, that are tired, that are discouraged. And, I, and as, we, as we close in worship, pour out your Holy Spirit on them, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord.